spanning the Valley of the Sun and all across the 48th state. This is the Gatos and Chad Show. Happy, happy Tuesday to all of you. Steve Zinsmeister and Bruce St. James in for Gatos and Chad today. We were just talking about uh, Carrie Lake's challenge for the governor race a little while ago. Legal, legal challenge. Her legal challenge, which we'll see where that goes. But we have a governor on his way out. Governor mm-hmm. Doug Ducey, he's been in office for the last eight years. He's got, what, I don't know, two weeks left as governor. I'm, I'm not sure that much... Short timer. But not much major things are going to happen. showing up at noon, <laughs> leaving at two. <laughs> Probably, that's what I would do. Um, I, I was curious what you thought of this, because, Bruce, you've spent most of Governor Ducey's tenure here in Arizona. Oh, yeah. You've spent time all over the place. I but, remember when he was elected. Um, what are we going to remember most hmm. from Ducey's time as governor? I have my thoughts. I'm okay. curious what yours are. So let's go back. Let's rewind the clock eight, nine years ago when governor when when then Doug Ducey was running governor the, ice cream the ice cream guy yeah yeah which everybody thought of him as um, he he promised and pledged to run bring bring a business sense to government you know. The idea that he'd been successful in business and that he could take a lot of those skills and apply it to the running of the state. And I would tell you, I think he did a pretty good job of that. If you're going to judge him, you can look at not only the state that he inherited eight years ago, but the state he's handing over to Governor-elect Hobbs. And look at the things that he had to deal with along the way. Look at the challenges along the way. And I would say that um, one of the things that I will remember and I think he was successful at was running the state of Arizona with a business mind. We talked about the rainy day fund a lot during the course of his tenure. When he started, uh, I believe the number was they were like a billion dollars in debt or Mm -hmm. whatever it was or half a billion. Upside down. Uh, In the red, so to speak. And. You're right. With that business acumen, he kind of ran the state as his own business. He made cuts in areas, you know, and said, hey, we don't have the money. You can't, Don't spend money you don't have. I be- I don't know the exact number, but I believe we're like $5 billion up now, mm-hmm. basically. That he completely flipped the script when it comes to the rainy day fund. Now, what is that money doing for us right now? It's just kind of an emergency fund, which is, Dave Ramsey would tell you, you got to have one of those. So in that regard, yes, he did a great job. I... You could argue, was it his business uh, acumen that got that, or was it partially because Arizona and Maricopa County specifically is growing at such a fast rate? I'm, I'm sure he benefited probably from some of that. We're getting way more in taxes than we ever did before. That's fair. You so know. that plays a part in the but he, But, you know, it, it's kind of like, you, well, you can't just blame him for the things that happen in office and not give him credit for the things that happen right. in office. So, totally. you know, with the good comes the bad. The biggest, what, what stands out for you? The biggest thing, and maybe it's because I went and covered it, we were actually doing a show together at the time, um, was the teacher march in 2017. All the Red for Ed stuff. And- where 75,000 teachers, estimated, showed up at his front door at the Capitol, marched through downtown Phoenix, and demanded a raise. And that was a, an odd time because the teachers ran a Democratic opponent against him, David Garcia, who did not do a very good campaign, did not do a good job, and Ducey pretty much rolled him in the election. Um, but I remember that specifically, too, not just because I was there and covering it, but also he ended up giving them raises. 
which I think was probably always the plan in some way, shape, or form. But they showed up, made demands, and I'm not saying that he met all of them, but he did end up giving teachers raises at the time. It's certainly a drop in the bucket of what probably needs to happen in Arizona. But that's probably the biggest event that I remember from okay. the Ducey administration. You So you think years on that that's what he'll be remembered for? Well, because I, I was thinking about other governors. Um, we obviously have a good relationship here on the show with Jan Brewer, who comes on regularly. And when I think back, I wasn't here for her time in office. Yeah. But what I remember from that administration is SB 1070. I will always remember her for putting her finger in President Obama's that's, chest. That's another big one. And we talked with her about that recently because of Joe Biden coming and, yeah. you know, what should Governor Ducey do and, and Governor-elect Hobbs do? Um, those are the two big ones, the finger in, in Obama's face and SB 1070. So when I think when I think of Governor Ducey also, keep in mind, and let's let's use COVID as an example. Every governor, mayor, president, it was a no-win situation. Uh, 2020 till today or whatever, covid there was no script for this. There was no rule book. Everything got turned upside down. And everybody in a position of leadership in government took a hit. Because no matter what decision you made, you had people that were going to be upset by it. Okay? I think he did a pretty good job of navigating COVID. And I don't think that he is seen as extreme as some others. Either extreme as in shutting everything down and, you know, cratering the economy because of COVID or the flip side of what's COVID, you know, like, like he was somewhere in the middle. I thought he navigated it pretty well. And he's done a lot of things like that where I think he's kind of walked a tightrope. The thing that stands out for me is, you know, uh, the, the, there's been rumblings almost since he was elected. Is this guy presidential material? Does he have higher ambition? Well, yeah. Well, what's after governor? You, you know, uh, he talked about possibly Senate, you know, maybe maybe president. Um, I think it's amazing how Governor Ducey managed to navigate the Trump waters. And for me, it's one of the things I will always kind of attach with him that he he was on, on stage with them. He, he didn't distance himself from Trump. No, he was inviting of Trump. But he also wasn't hugging him. He, you know what I'm saying? He also wasn't following down the path. He didn't go with the election stolen. You know what I'm saying? Kept like him at arm's length. He, I think he walked a really good kind of, for a Republican, which he had to do, he walked a really smart uh, line. Well, you got to play the game, right? I mean, we talked about the difficulty that our Attorney General, Mark Burnovich, has had walking that line in the last year He and hasn't half. done it nearly as well as Ducey. No, not nearly. Where he no. was trying to garner the support of no. President Trump and his supporters while also being the lead uh, prosecutor in the state right. of Arizona, and it's like, well, if you believe in the election fraud, then do something about it. Exactly. So exactly. he didn't walk that, and Again, it's a hard line to walk. Don't get me wrong. But Ducey, I agree with you, has done a much better job of that. He was never going to allow Trump to, to define him. him down. Yeah. Like he wasn't going to go yeah. down with the ship. Yeah. You think about other politicians out there. They've been defined by their relationship with Trump. Oh, absolutely. Ducey. They throw all their eggs was in that basket. And Ducey was never defined necessarily by that. And no. I think. But he's not 
anti, you know, he's not seen as some sort of a, a, a pariah either. I mean, amongst the crazies, but that is what it is. That's why I'm curious about what's next for Ducey, too. And I assume he's going to take some time off and he can always go into the private sector. Or maybe he gets considered for a cabinet position down the road with a Republican president, if it's DeSantis or whoever. Mm-hmm. Maybe he could get considered for commerce secretary or something like that. Um, I never thought he would go the Senate route. Really? Because I think he likes being an executive too much. When you're in the Senate, you don't carry as much power as yeah. you might think. There's 99 other little little uh, uh, kings and queens in right. there. Right. You can only do so much until you get the votes of your colleagues. Whereas when you're governor, you pretty much you get the final say. You either sign the bill or you veto the bill. To his credit, in a, in a world of politicians that lie through their teeth, I think Doug Ducey can leave office in a couple of weeks. And I think most people say... He he said he meant what he said and he said what he meant and he did what he said he was going to do. He didn't. There was no bait and switch with Governor Ducey, and that's a credit, except for the school spending limit, yeah, well, which you and I have talked about a little bit as well. But uh, maybe we'll not maybe not entirely time. on him as well. Uh, no, not entirely. But did he make a promise that he didn't keep? <sighs> that maybe something there. Uh, coming up next. If you're flying for the holidays, which many of you probably are, you may be in for a big surprise and not a good one. In fact, Bruce, you might be going through this here. Oh, yeah. This week. I'm already going through it. You can tell us all about it next on the Gatos and Chad Show. The Gatos Big Q Poll Question, brought to you by your Valley Toyota dealers. All right, so Gatos and Chad have the day off. Steve Zinsmeister and Bruce St. James in for the guys. But there is still a Gatos Big Q poll question at KTR.com. You'll find it on the right-hand side of the page. It's brought to you by your Valley Toyota dealers. The question, it's about a story we talked about yesterday, Bruce. The mm-hmm. Gilbert cop who tricked a guy oh. into taking a breathalyzer test basically yeah. told him, hey, just uh, close your eyes for a second. Just shh. Okay. And then stuck it in his mouth. <laughs> well, his eyes were closed. <laughs> Basically. Um, so uh, the big Q poll question. A Gilbert c- cop tried to trick a man into a breathalyzer test after he declined to do so. I feel, and your answer choices are either, that's just smart policing, or it's sketchy at best. And currently that poll is running at, surprisingly, 59% it's sketchy at best, 41% smart policing. That's I'm a lot closer than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, I'm, I'm on the sketchy, sketchy side. Even if you just feel like it might have been okay-ish, like maybe it's not illegal, I don't really know. It's going to get thrown out in court. It probably is. I mean, come on. It's like saying, can I search your car? No, you can't search my car. Okay, well, Turn I'm your head gonna... the other way. Ah, I went and looked. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm, I'm like, going to no. poke my head in the window real can't quick. can't do that. No. Right, exactly. Um, so you can find the poll question at KTAR.com. Uh, you're traveling for the holidays, right? I am. I'm going to go and visit mom in Washington, D.C. Well, Allegedly. Allegedly? Uh, Is it not happening anymore? So American Airlines is telling me this may not happen. There is uh, a bomb cyclone. (laughs) That's dramatic. Uh, And the wintry weather in the Midwest and the the East Coast um, is going to cause havoc. It's supposed to start tomorrow. Just in time. When's your flight? Thursday. When is your flight uh, allegedly? I allegedly said. Thursday. <laughs> uh, and they're saying that, like, you, Americans sent me a little email 
uh, that said, if you're traveling to, through, or from, and it has 40 cities on it. Oh. Including all the big ones. Anywhere in New York, Boston, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Washington, Toronto, Canada, et cetera, et cetera. You can change your flight for no fee. You know, he's giving you all these options and fly through somewhere else. Um, the issue is, and the thing that we know, and as a frequent flyer, I know that Chicago is a hub for American Airlines. Correct. Uh, Dallas is a hub for American and United. Yes. Washington, D.C. is an American hub. You know, you, so when these airports start, Atlanta is a Delta hub, you know, a big headquarters. So when these individual airports start getting affected and either shut down, slow down or whatever, there's a ripple effect. And so we're here in Phoenix and we're like, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's bitterly cold at 61 degrees, uh, but clear skies. What's the problem? Well, the problem is your plane, your crew, your pilot is sitting in a lounge or at, at gate 28B at Chicago O'Hare and can't get out because of that. And then this starts this ripple effect. A backlog. So I am at this point, I would say I'm 50 50. I'm leaving on Thursday. 50, I think 50. so. I think we're at fifty fifty at this point. This is gonna, looking at the looking at the the weather. This is going to disrupt a lot of people's plans. You didn't just write them back and say, "Hey, uh, uh, Executive Platinum." Uh, yeah, they, let's they, make sure this flight. Happens. Yeah, that's not going <laughs> to. Amazingly enough, that doesn't work. I'm I'm just as surprised as you are. Uh, and you know, changing my trip's not the issue. Change it to what? The problem is Washington D.C. Uh, Thursday and Friday. There's bad weather there. So where would you like? I mean. Great. Uh, you know, I could fly to San Francisco, but that doesn't get me where I want to go. But the weather's nicer in San Francisco. By my estimation, that's the other <laughs> yeah, way, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, they're like, you can change your trip. And I go, yeah, but it's not to where I want to go. Right. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, big time problem. My dad was telling me a couple weeks ago. Remember, uh, maybe it was a couple months ago, there was the hurricane in Orlando. Yeah. And my dad was in Orlando on a business oh, wow. trip or whatever. They just they were like, eh, no big deal. Just hunker down. Um, and I remember he he lives in Dallas and he calls my mom and says, I can't. Uh, I can't fly home today from Orlando to Dallas. And she says, oh, the hurricane? And he goes, no, there's ice in Dallas. It's your fault. Yeah. Not, not, not the hurricane. It's And I, th- I just wonder, if I, I only say this, and it's because I've endeavored to learn about it. You know, when it's a beautiful sunny day in Phoenix and my flight is delayed, Why? You know, weather's going on somewhere else. Well, not weather here. It's weather other places. And uh, specifically over COVID, airlines got lean and mean. And they let people, they furloughed people, and they went away. And I actually, I've sat next to a flight attendant who was deadheading and asked him about this. And he said, you know, a lot of people didn't come back. And he said, so what we're dealing with is full flights, fewer planes, fewer crew, and everybody's working. So that if one person gets the sniffles or one plane, you know, the Fitzer valve sticks, everything, all of a sudden, 18 other flights are affected. And when those 18 flights are affected, 100 other flights are affected. And it just starts this cascade effect. So all I'm saying is if you are traveling in the next four days, uh, United, American, Southwest, Delta, the big one saying, make sure you're checking on this. They may be rerouting you. They may be rescheduling you knowing there are problems ahead of time. Pay attention. But uh, I came up with it. How about this? 
pack your patience. Oh, that's pretty good. Did you came up with that right now? Double stampies, no erasies. That's mine. Look at you. Pack your patience. Marketing genius. Thanks. Coming up next, we call it holding up the headlines. Becky Lynn's going to read the news while Bruce and I are going to interrupt and react to the day's top stories. That is next. Arizona's news station. News station. KTAR, on air, 92.3 FM, online at KTAR.com, and streaming live on the KTAR News app. Your breaking news and traffic, now. Every day at 3.30, we'll do it. It's called Holding Up the Headlines. Steve Zinsmeister and Bruce St. James in for Gatos and Chad. Becky Lynn has all the latest news, and we will react. Paul's three-pointer, Suzanne! ESPN is reporting billionaire mortgage lender Matt Ishbia is finalizing a purchase of the Phoenix Suns. The sales in the neighborhood of $4 billion, according to ESPN. And this all comes after suspended majority owner Robert Sarver announced that he would sell the team in September following an investigation into allegations of racism and misogyny. Holding up the headlines. Becky Lynn reads the news while Gatos and Chad interrupt and react to the day's top stories. Listen, I don't want to pretend to know this guy personally. I, I didn't know the name Matt Ishbia before today. You know how to pronounce it. You're going to hear a lot of people that are going to come out and oh, he looks like he's a great family man and he runs his business very well. I don't know the guy. I really don't. So I have no idea if he's going to be a good owner or not. What I do know is this. This is a guy who was the 12th man on the bench for a basketball team at Michigan State in 2000. He walked onto the team, right? And today he bought the Phoenix Suns. Pretty so solid. That's a guy who went from lower down to Here's what I like. He's in his 40s. 41, I think he is, yeah. Oh, God. So, just in case you want to you know, go over your life decisions. Uh, but he's uh, he's young. He, br- he brings him energy. He brings a new look, a new style, and uh, hopefully more compatible with the sons of the future as this team continues to grow. We're holding up the headlines. Arizona votes. Parts of failed Republican candidate for Governor Carrie Lake's election lawsuit are headed to court. Lake and her lawyers now have to prove the chain of custody of ballots was intentionally broken in an attempt to alter the results of the election. And that county election officials intentionally caused the election day printer issues because they thought it would cause her to lose the election. Both of which she alleges in her suit. Taylor Tassler. KTAR News. And Republican candidate for Attorney General Abe Hamaday's lawsuit will be heading to trial Friday after a judge's ruling this afternoon. Listen, I like the idea of making these candidates prove what they're alleging. It's not just, we allege this, no, that's bogus, we're throwing it out. How about you stand up in a courtroom and you prove it to me? I like that. Absolutely. Uh, The the proof is in the pudding, uh, for lack of better terms. Uh, And while eight of the counts were were thrown out rather immediately uh, uh, by by the judge, um, we are going to find out. What evidence do they have? The evidence that they keep touting, you can't go and spout falsehoods. You can't knowingly lie. The attorneys can't lie in court. They're going to get disbarred if they can. We'll find out what actual provable facts they present. We know there were printer issues on Election Day. I still have a lot of questions about that. But at the same time, Lake is alleging that it was intentional and that it changed the outcome of the election. There's no way that they're going to be able to prove that. We're holding up the headlines. The ballot recount for several races in Arizona is coming to an end. There's only a handful of the 15 counties across the state that need to finalize the recount, which is triggered in races that are separated by half a percentage point or less. Assistant Secretary of State Allie Bones tells KTAR. While the counties are 
recounting, they cannot report any daily results like they do during the daily tabulation of the election, you know, right after Election Day. It's actually against the law. Only a judge can report the final results, and that is expected Thursday. Yeah, we, we you know, we, we're unique, I guess, uh, as a state that these recounts are required and can only happen if they're within half a percent, right? Yeah, it's a certain margin. 0.5%. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that's good. Again, let's let the system play itself out the way it's intended. I'm ready for it to be done. Okay. Yeah, I'm so too. ready for it to that be over. Too. By the way, the AG's race, within 500 votes this year. So it, it's not like these aren't warranted recounts. It's not recounting Agreed. for the sake of recounting. Agreed. It's the, Some of these races were incredibly close because of how politically divided, I guess, Arizona is fairly equally. Yeah. We came close to having a Rochambeau to see who wins. Oh, that would be fun. I love the headlines. Today marks the third anniversary of the founding of the U.S. Space Force. Mm-hmm. Brigadier General Pet Ryder recognized the anniversary at today's Pentagon briefing. We salute the Space Force as it celebrates its third birthday and extend our appreciation to guardians everywhere for all they do to defend our nation. Space guardians. Force was inaugurated under President Trump as the sixth branch of the armed forces to conduct military operations and defense in outer space. No disrespect to anybody in the Space Force. You I just have had a really hard time taking it seriously. What, what, three years now. What, what, what has changed? Has anything changed? Do we have a, a fleet in, the, in space? Is, is space safer now than it was before? I, I don't know what they've accomplished. Yeah, I I uh, I'm I gotta believe nothing. I, maybe there is the, the people that are most excited about Space Force, Trump. the Coast Guard, because they <laughs> went from being like the bottom of the totem pole to yeah. like, hey, at least we're not Space Force. Well, and I don't think that it helped that there was a Steve Carell comedy on Netflix called yes. Space Force before the Space Force even was created. I'm pretty sure, and it was a terrible show. It was really bad in it my was. opinion, and uh, it didn't make the Space Force look any better. Ouch. We're holding up the headlines. Applications for ASU's Musicians in Residence program open soon. It gives students experience in their future fields and retired folks entertainment. KTAR Shira Tanzer is live to tell us how the program works. Four ASU graduate sh- students studying music, dance, or theater will get free room and board at ASU's Mirabella Retirement Community in exchange for performances and programming. Samuel Pena with ASU says the programming includes a choir and dance lessons on top of performances. They really feel that their life is being enriched. And at the same time, the students are feeling as if they're able to fully grow, to have a place to offer their highest level of music performance. Pena says students are informed when applications open at the beginning of the semester. Live in the News Center, Shira Tanzer, KTAR News. There's a retirement community at ASU? <laughs> that was my first reaction. That's what you took from all that. Well, I mean, I remember, I seem to remember, were they, I don't know if it's the same community or yes, not. Yes, it the, is. The one that yes, it shut is. down Shady Park? Yes, it is. Which is an awesome bar, by the way. Mirabella, that's it. I'm not a fan of these people. I'm sorry. They shut down Shady Park. They showed up during the pandemic when we weren't allowed to have these businesses open. And then when they came, when all the people opened up their businesses again, Shady Park played loud music. So you want to deny them? You want them to to deny them semi-loud music? Yeah, not quite as loud. They're like, we like quieter music. I'm right. still mad about the Shady Park thing. Apparently. Can you blame me? No, I think you're right. <laughs> All right, thank you, Becky Lynn. That's holding up the headlines where Becky Lynn reads the news while we interrupt and react to the day's top stories. Uh, big story that we talked about yesterday, Title 42, an immigration policy kind of up in the air right now. The way that we handle immigration at the border in Arizona might change dramatically today. 
And we're going to talk to the mayor of Yuma. Doug Nichols joins us to explain how next. Arizona's news station, KTAR News, 92.3 FM. A mashup of news, information, and entertainment. This is the Gatos and Chad Show. And this portion of the program is brought to you by Parker & Sons Plumbing and Electrical, the two-time winner of the Better Business Bureau's Ethics Award. Steve Zinsmeister and Bruce St. James in for Gatos and Chad today. One topic we talked a lot about yesterday was Title 42. The yeah. Supreme Court came out and said, uh, we're going to keep it around at least temporarily. Uh, the ball is kind of in President Biden's court, I guess, right now. Uh, and the administration did uh, respond by the, the deadline, which was what? A couple hours ago. Hour, hour or so ago. Uh, and uh, uh, is making the argument that the um, uh, Supreme Court... Keep Title 42 in place until next week. So I got an email in my inbox this morning from uh, a frequent guest of the show. Uh, Mayor of Yuma, Doug Nichols, sent out a notice about how Border Patrol essentially is going to be changing how they handle certain migrants in the city of Yuma specifically. And that starts today, regardless of the Title 42 stuff. So I figured, why not just go straight to the source? Let's talk to the mayor of Yuma. Doug Nichols joins us now on the program. Uh, Mr. Mayor, welcome to the show again. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks. Stephen Bruce, good to be on. So from what I was reading, what is Border Patrol doing different today that you recently found out than they have been doing for the last couple of years? Well, it really came down to uh, the criteria to release people from custody onto the streets as opposed to releasing people to um, a nonprofit, for instance, that will help them um, transition to wherever they're going. Um, Basically, this is just, in essence, opening the front door and tell them they're free to leave. Um, What that could potentially end up with is, and very realistically, end up with people walking around the streets looking for resources, not knowing how to find those transportation options out of town, which, to be frank, are fairly limited. Uh, So that's that's the crux of the situation is it's not just a matter of People find their way to the bus terminal and, and copying on something. It's finding an open seat on that bus. So, um, Mayor Nichols, is this being driven by uh, uh, overcrowding? Is this being driven by lack of space? It, it's a it's a dual prong thing that it, the Yuma sector has the largest population, what they call in custody at this time, and that's part of the reason. But the other part is, I think, trying to look ahead for. Um, what potentially Title 42 scenario might be. Some of it does feel a little bit political in that mm-hmm. I know Border Patrol has had even more than those people in custody as far as the total number of people. Um, so there, it's not something I can pin to one thing and say this is exactly what's okay. happening. What are some of the numbers? I mean, you've told us before that it's around 1,000 people coming across in Yuma per day. Uh, my understanding is that Border Patrol has not been releasing many, if any, people into the city of Yuma before. So now that they are, how many people per day are we talking about being released onto the streets of Yuma? Well, so – uh, let me back up just a little bit. Since I wrote that memo, this has been a very fluid situation. Things keep changing every five minutes. Sure. Um, and we had a nonprofit, another nonprofit, stand up to help uh, for the people that are being released today. And that's 50 people that are being released. Coming across the border has ticked uptick. So we're hitting about 1,100 people now a day, and that looks like that's increasing still. So 
the situation as it's been for the last year or so it has been where the thousand people get kind of uh, dispersed into different avenues. Some get returned home under Title 42. Some um, are expedited removal because of criminal issues. Some, uh, and a large portion of them, about 350 to 400, maybe even up to 500, go to our uh, Regional Center for Border Health that has helped with transportation. And then the remainder were surged to other parts of the country, ICE facilities or DHS facilities. And that's what's starting to get um, slowed up. We're talking to Doug Nichols. He's the mayor of Yuma, certainly a hot spot for immigration in Arizona specifically. Um, mayor, the last time we talked to you, you said you were going to have a meeting with uh, Governor-elect Ka- uh, Katie Hobbs and that you were going to talk to her about what she wants to accomplish at the border. My understanding is you guys have talked. Uh, yeah. What have you heard from her as to what she plans to do at the border? Well, um, she she is very concerned and rightfully so about the humanitarian aspects of the people coming through and as well as those that are currently living in the border community. So that was very uh, important to hear. Uh, and so what I did is I invited her to come take a trip and see how that is in Yuma, because it's going to be different than it is in Nogales and, and Douglas and those communities. Um, and she expressed a strong desire to do that sooner rather than later. Uh, so we're in the process of trying to figure out that schedule. Does she uh, want to get rid of the shipping containers that Ducey put up in Yuma? The Great Wall of Ducey? She did. Um, she did express that that was her opinion, which was led to the comment of my invitation to come and see how things look. Uh, fortunately, I've gotten information that that se- most of that section is going to be replaced by a permanent solution by the, mm. uh, okay. the government, the federal government in uh, the end of this month. We're talking to uh, Mayor Doug Nichols of Yuma. And, and Mayor, thinking about the numbers you're giving us, 1,000 to 1,100 people a day, what is different about the people coming across the border now than maybe just a couple of years ago? Uh, Yuma has always had a transitory uh, group going back and forth across the border. From my impression, a lot of it was driven by the ag industry. What is different today? Well, I mean, that's a misconception that a lot of people have. The, no, the ag industry in Arizona, particularly, uh, really depend upon legal labor because of the consistency. They mm. can't have a $3 billion industry that may or may not have a workforce. So they've been very, very large advocates for legal labor. Doesn't always mean Americans is a lot of guest labor. But what the difference is to your basic question is uh, we have a lot more affluent people coming through. I don't necessarily mean rich, but in 2019, when we were dealing with the similar, well, not similar surge, but the last surge, um, there was people truly walking across the border with uh, grocery bags with their life belongings in them. Um, Now we see people walking across the border with luggage, like they just got out of the airport, because they did just get out of the airport. Um, They all have, they all, almost all have cell phones. Um, It's a different population okay it's it's more of an economic issue as far as people looking for a better opportunity than people who are trying to survive understood uh mayor doug nichols the mayor of yuma thank you so much for keeping us up to speed on this important issue uh we look forward to talking to you again soon 
Thanks, Stephen Bruce. Thanks. All right. Uh, Doug Nichols keeping us up to speed on all things. Title 42 was supposed to go away this week. That's, that's where the rubber meets the road, too, is Yuma. Uh, yeah, that's where a lot of people are coming across here in Arizona, and that's not going to change anytime soon. Uh, Bruce St. James, Steve Zinsweiser in for Gatos and Chad today. Coming up on the program, we're going to react to some of what we just heard from the mayor of Yuma. And is Title 42 going away on Wednesday or what? That's next on the show.